Hey, what's up, everybody? You are watching On the Town with Tanya, and I'm your host. Uh, thank you very much for coming back again this week. Tonight's guest uh, is a licensed clinical social worker, a coach with over 22 years of professional experience. Uh, she's worked with a very diverse uh, group client, client population in a variety of, of settings. She now specializes in treatment of career women living with debilitating anxiety, and she works intensively with women suffering from trauma experienced as a result of infertility and pregnancy loss. She is committed to providing a safe space for women, not only to grow in, but to heal and thrive as well. Please welcome Ayana Ali. Hi. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you. Um, I, 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 um, this has been a big topic for a while because there's so many women uh, facing infertility. But first, tell us about your um, what you do, your counseling services that you provide, uh, and then we'll go into uh, okay. infertility. Sure. So I am the founder and proprietor of Ayana Ali LCSW um, Counseling Services as well as Coaching Services. Um, so it's two prongs. Um, on the counseling side, I am a licensed clinical social worker, and so I provide individual, group, and uh, couples counseling. Um, and I diagnose and treat and help people learn how to better manage you know, a mental health diagnosis such as anxiety or depression. I really specialize in anxiety for women, career women who um, are experiencing anxiety that can at times be debilitating. I also work therapeutically with people who are, you know, dealing with infertility and pregnancy loss. And then on the coaching side, it's a little bit of a less um, diagnostic approach, and it's more about goal setting. Um, so I do coaching for people who have experienced loss and maybe want to think about what their family, you know, what their family is going to look like now. Um, I also do coaching and help people get out of their own way. I have a package called Get Out of Your Own Way, which is like you have goals, you have things you want to achieve, but you keep creating your own obstacles. And so I kind of come in there and help people clear that out. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So so tell us, I mean, there's. I did want to touch on um, some, uh, just a piece of a racial thing uh, because there's a lot of anxiety um, that brown yeah. folks are experiencing. So I was going to either tell get that out first and then go into the infertility because that's a big chunk. Is that yeah. okay? That's okay. fine. Yeah. Okay. So uh, first of all, hi, you guys. I see you out there now. I, I had to do something, so I see you now. <laughs> Glad you're out there somewhere. I appreciate you for watching. Um, so, um, you know, there's um, a lot of, um, and, and I, you know, I'm just saying this in my opinion, um, since uh, our 45th president, um, <laughs> there have been a lot of escalation of what appears to me like a lot of, um, a lot of incidents that that are now coming out as racial trauma i guess i want to call it i may be saying the absolute wrong word um, i know i have anxiety now uh, i've never had anxiety in my life I've, mm -hmm. ne I've never ever had anxiety i have anxiety now mm -hmm. um, and i hear young people saying they have you know certain anxiety especially young girls you know certain areas where they're being kidnapped left and right so i just wanted to see yeah. has that gone up and well, go ahead. I'll ask that first. Has, has that gone up the amount of people of color that you're seeing um, that are being affected by all the things that are going on? 
Yeah, I definitely would say um, that studies support the fact that there is an increase in anxiety specifically for people of color or, you know, BIPOC um, people. I think very specifically for black people, there definitely has been an increase in anxiety over the threat of, you know, racial discrimination, sorry, or, or racial harm. Uh, because I think with, you know, everything that happened in the summer of 2020, I think for the first time in a very long time, people were exposed to images right. of assaults on black and brown people back to back to back to back to back. Um, so in such rapid, you know, succession, um, and we had seen images of police brutality and things like that before, but I think the summer, it was so intense and it was like one, two, three, four, five, you know, every time you turn around, there's a new incident. And then I think except for really, you know, the George Floyd, the convictions related to the George Floyd incident, all the other incidents, Breonna Taylor, you know, um, the um, gentleman who was in um, uh, Wisconsin, his name is escaping me right now, but all of those acts of violence went unpunished. Right. So not only were we very much aware of the fact that, you know, violence was happening, it was that it was happening on camera. And even when it was happening on camera, nothing was being done about it. So I think it definitely made people feel more, more vulnerable. And I think that, you know, after having had President Obama, I think a lot of black and brown people kind of felt like, oh, things are getting better. <laughs> and then we had 45 and it mm -hmm. seemed like things kind of just started going back, you know? And um, so I think that certainly caused um, an increase in stress. I think that, you know, if you're a black or brown person, you're out in a community where there's not a lot of people who look like you, you know, it, it it's understanding about why you would be anxious. We right. know that discrimination is high. We know institutionalized, um, you know, racism, really affects people's livelihood, you know, whether or not they're in prison for something they haven't done. And we know that the system doesn't work for us. So of course, yes, I would definitely say there's been an increase and we have information about it now more so than before. Right, well, that's the thing. Um, I'm so happy you touched on that because it's a big thing. And I hear people all the time saying, is it me or is it, or is it just you or is it us? And I'm mm -hmm. like, no, I think it's a lot of people. And, and here's the kicker. I think it's also some of my white friends are also experiencing trauma because they don't know how to deal with none. It's like, I feel bad for them on one side. And so people will be like, right. well, you have privilege and you have this. And they're like, I don't want any of this stuff. I just want to be right. a human being and love everybody, like peace, happy. Yeah. But so they got the middle. So now they have stuff and yeah. they can't tell anybody because everyone's like, really? What's this well, I, You know, I think you raise a good point in the sense that, you know, sometimes in, in certain areas of society when racism is discussed, it's like, oh, that's, you know, brown people's problem or black people's problem or the people who are being discriminated against, it's their problem, but it's everybody's problem. So, you know, you, you raise a good point in the sense that if you are a, a white person and you're aware of your privilege or, you know, you care very deeply about black and brown people and you're real about what happens to those people and, you know, how their lives can be much more at risk than yours, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what kind of person who carries that consciousness in their mind every day probably wouldn't at some point experience guilt or experience questions about like, can I do something about it? You know, so it's not only people who are who are victims of racism who are carrying the burden of like what should be done or what action should we take. It's also people who are aware that they have privilege and that they may in fact be a large essential part of the process of changing it. But it's like people don't know what to do. And 
it's an added burden and it's an also an added element of confusion like how do i handle this right exactly and that's for a lot of people i mean i've had some good table discussions on this one i was like why can't you guys have been on the show when we were talking about this <laughs> but it's not um so so would you say we're more you know um african american on a whole are more open to therapy because you know the old stereotype um, mm -hmm. now because um yeah. someone looks like us like we have therapists like yourself mm -hmm. which is yeah. awesome i even found a black doctor that was like what let me find out so <laughs> I was like, that, because then, you know you don't have to go in and this is what i say you don't have to go in um with the trust and the intent you know right i i no longer have to think well, is this a genocide or is this like conspiracy right or does this kind of get what i'm talking about yeah yeah, yeah. are they going to get where and a lot of times people don't get it uh, and they act like they do, and you know they don't. So it's, right. hilarious. it's hilarious to me. I'm like, oh, wow, you're lucky you're getting paid. I'm getting paid to make jokes all day. So right. as a comedian is great, but as a real person, hello, you know, yes. are you are you seeing more of us saying, you know what, I need some healing because of all these years of trauma and mm -hmm. whether that's family trauma, you know, uh, genetic trauma, or what do you call it, uh, family passed down generation to generation, generation. trauma, mm -hmm. or whether that's societal race stuff. Yeah trauma that's just developed in the last well it's been here because we used to have hangings and news whatever knowledge though now i think right. yeah. and people still doing it and don't care like they're still going into yeah. the church and like they just like eh, i don't care because i'm not i'm not going to really be penalized anyway it's right like, so it's uh, do you think that we're coming more to you because we're like okay trust is no longer an issue with the therapist right um so a couple of things a, a couple of points um of opinion on that and also statistics to back it up we do see that black people are um you know entering into therapy and seeking um mental health assistance more than ever before statistically um i think that the number of clinicians who look like you and i has of course um increased exponentially over you know the last um years still only four percent of therapists are black women so it's still a very small number four percent yes and i think that you know i live in new york city and you know i think depending on where you are and depending on where your practice is mm -hmm. it's much easier for let's say a black woman to find you know another black woman clinician probably in new york city than it is in I don't know, Wearsville, you know? Right. So I think it really depends on where you are, but I think that the fact that we're seeing that there are people of color who are working in mental health professions, mm -hmm. I think the fact that there have been a lot of educational campaigns to educate people of color about the fact that, you know, mental illness is, it's not a crime, it's not a moral issue, right. you know, right. it's right. even a spiritual issue because you can, you know, have a mental illness and believe in God and, you know, still feel depressed. Yeah. So I think that the combination of people having access to education, people seeing people that look more like them in these fields, and then the fact that there's been a lot of education done around, edu you know, educating people about seeking help for mental health issues, you know, is not right. something that should be stigmatized. Mm -hmm. I think people are now starting to come in. I also think that like community organizations like the church, or um you know community centers social justice you know um agencies they're also championing 
championing the cause of mental health. And so I think that when you see like community partners that people have long put trust in saying, it's okay to go to someone and talk about this. Right. And in fact, you might be able to find somebody who looks like you and you know shares experience with you. I right. think people now feel like it's more acceptable. So that's great. I'm so happy to hear that. And I, and I know a lot of people now who normally would say, like, I'm not going to any therapy. Oh, right. um, now I'm like, okay, time for me to go to the therapist. Because at some point, you know, all that's just any human being. It all gets too much, especially after a pandemic. Like, it's like we had the pandemic to deal with. And that was, I mean, everybody, everybody, rich, poor, black, white, it does not everybody matter. Was in therapy, right? Everybody has some ways of dealing with this and could yeah. not believe the the amount of stress that we were all going through you could mm -hmm. have five million dollars and you still had to stay home right right that's well the, that's the thing that the the pandemic was for many people i think you know of our generation it was the first like great equalizer right because like no matter where you were in the world the the pandemic affected you in some way shape or form right so um i think it was the first time probably since like the influenza outbreak you know in um, in the 20th century where like the whole world was affected by something and then everybody like you said rich poor you know working not not working housed or undomiciled you know was affected by this so it was the first time that we had like a joint trauma that everybody was like this is messed up you know and this is and and, and it's affecting our socialization it's affecting oh, the socialization uh, piece oh, right talk about that <laughs> so i think people felt like, oh, I have permission to talk about this because everybody, everybody's in the same boat right now, you know? And then couple that, we had the pandemic, everything shut down in March here in this country. And then um, in the summertime, all these th these instances of racial unrest and police yes. brutality were like come like coming up every week. So it was like a powdery keg and everybody was home in front of their TV. Just yes, and people were like, <laughs> it was bending with popcorn, like, oh, I don't even have to go to the movies for action thriller. I mean, yes. I just like, I mean, and it's not funny. Sorry, guys. I, it's not funny. But I, as a comedian, I have to make something out of it because I, everyone was like, is this, wait a minute, let me turn this TV on. <laughs> really happening because I can't go to work and then I can't do this. And then when I do do this, I got to wear the mask. Like there was so many elements to this yep. that, that I don't know how anybody came through this pandemic without needing a therapist. No, and I think anybody who didn't go to therapy probably has residual trauma that they may not be aware of or they are aware of and they just haven't worked it through. And the thing is, like, we're still in the middle of this pandemic. We're definitely not in lockdown the way we were two years ago, but, right. Um, right. you know, COVID rates, uh, rates are rising again. So it's like the up and down of like, oh, uh, things be getting back to normal and then things seem to be getting worse. Right. It's like a consistent roller coaster that the whole world has been on. Yes. Um, and that's very stressful from a mental health perspective. Well, for you, though, as a therapist, this must be the field. I mean, I actually was like, if I only have like a couple more years to really go for that, uh, really go for it. I right. my, I basically they told me you should have just minored in in, uh, in uh, psychology. You only needed a few more credits. But I didn't. Long story short, that was not my calling. It wasn't your calling. Right. I did counseling, but that was not my, you know, Right, Being the therapist was not my first calling. How about that? Yeah, you got know? it. So, uh, so I, I have to keep that for someone that this is their dream. This they always want to help somebody, and yeah. that you know what I'm saying it's a different, a different um, um, uh, motivation. I'll call it. Um, yeah. So I appreciate you because um, you. It, it's been hard to find a therapist these days. Um, that unless you got six hundred dollars a pop, 
I mean, literally, I saw a kid. I felt bad for him. He was on antidepressants and everything. This is just a scenario, roundabout scenario. And mm -hmm. um, he was, uh, he's actually a comedian. He was making a joke about it. It's hilarious. It's not hilarious, but it's hilarious. He was like, yeah. So I told my therapist that I'm, you know, not really feeling great. You know what I mean? I don't want to say that out on whatever this is. Right. Um, but he's not feeling good about himself. It's in a set. So that's why we're like, he's okay. Right. Um, but he's saying, and you know what she tells me? $600, please. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but he was like, yeah. And then when I told her that I lost my job and didn't have the money, she was like, mm, you got to find somebody else. <laughs> find another provider. Exactly. So it becomes this thing. Um, it is comedic in a way because it's like, yeah, people, we have to learn how to keep our brains to our, you know, keep our brains in function in case we can't afford a therapist. Uh, you, you have to still know how to check yourself. Yeah. And I think you raise a really good point. Like, obviously, when everything shut down and everybody was on lockdown and people were sick and people were paranoid. And I don't and actually I shouldn't even use the word paranoid because you know, there was a real threat. It wasn't imagined. It wasn't hallucin a hallucination to think that it was sometimes dangerous to be outside because depending on what setting you were in, it, it was, yes. right? Especially in the beginning we've, when we didn't know much about um, COVID and how it was spread and all of that. Mm -hmm. So of course, for people in my field, you know, that was really like a time where, you know, our phones were ringing off the hook and everybody wanted to be therapy. And so, from a professional perspective or a financial perspective, you know, it was a, a good time to be making money and a good time to be in this business. Um, at the same time, you know, I think it's sad that sometimes people have to wait till there's like a global or a large scale crisis to say like, it's okay for me to take care of my mental health. Mm -hmm. So I am, I was so glad that people got into therapy as a result of the pandemic. I think that there are some people who are still in therapy and realize, you know, how valuable it was at the same time. It's okay to not be in crisis and to say, I want to go and talk to a therapist and, you know, maybe I just want to have somebody to bounce ideas off of right. or want a neutral party who doesn't know me, doesn't know anybody else in my life and can just give me kind of an objective opinion. So you can use therapy, um, you know, like prophylactically, right. <laughs> you, know exactly. I mean? you can I love that word. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's good. And I think, you know, if you can find somebody that you feel comfortable speaking about, you know, should something happen that you really do need treatment for, or you do really need a space to like get things off your chest, then great. You already have this person, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely. And, and I, and I even, um, I used to tell my friends, uh, cause you know, I say God made friends so that you can, you won't bother your parents or your siblings. <laughs> and he made therapists so that you can leave your friends alone. Because, <laughs> cause the truth is they can only handle so much too. Like, you know, I mean, it's, it's one thing for me to share my, oh, here's my secret friend to help me out. But that's beyond, that's just the, I know I got somebody here. I'm safe. You know, the basic, right? right. But when you get to detail, especially when it's deep trauma, you have mm -hmm. you you need someone that can like compartmentalize all this stuff you yes. know sort it out like a puzzle and then y'all can put it together and decide where it really needs to go yeah i mean and you know the thing is i'm really big on like trying to check people's capacity you know whether they're your friend whether they're your friend who happens to be a therapist you know regardless of who they are you know sometimes you just pick up the phone or you know you know or and call someone or start texting someone and you know like we like vomit our whole you know or our issues and so i'm really big on like trying to check in with people and say like do you have the capacity or i'm not feeling great right now i would really appreciate 
being able to talk to you. Are you okay with that? Because if the person's not in the mind space, whether they're, you know, the best trained therapists or not, Mm -hmm. if they're not willing or they don't have it to give, it's not going to be helpful for you. Same thing with your friends and your family. And then, you know, sometimes there are people who, depending on how much trauma they've experienced or depending on the enormity of the emotion that they're experiencing, you know, they're sharing, which is great, but then they're also overwhelming the person that they're sharing with because right. that is not trained to know how to deal with that. And you, you know, a minute ago you said, comp- you know, compartmentalize. And that's true. Like, that's part of what we learn as therapists. That's not a skill that I'll, everybody has. No, I know. I, I didn't realize it too, why everybody keeps hitting me up, telling me they're probably, I mean, literally I'm getting like all kinds of suicide calls, you name it, I'm getting them. And yeah. I'm like, why are they calling me? And I said, I forgot I was in counseling. You used to be a counselor, but you know the, all the modalities pretty much. The skills are the same, yeah. You know, the same thing. You have to motivate people and you have right. to make people see why they should motivate themselves. So it's, right. it's, to me, it's the same ballpark. But and I maybe people feel like you they know you're listening. You know, you can you you communicate that you're you're hearing them. So yes, yeah. I, I I mean I don't mind, I'm not complaining. It was just that I was like, why do they keep calling me? Everybody keep calling me. Who, yeah. who am I gonna call? Which is what happened after the pandemic. I actually mm-hmm. had a well what I would call a Tanya breakdown, um, not where you'd see it. But well, you're right. a you might, but but any of my friends wouldn't see it because I'm already always at a 15 or 20. Okay. When I get depressed, I'm probably at a 10, okay. which most people can't even get to a 10. So you right. get what I'm saying? Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm not the type of person you'd be like, yeah, she's really depressed. But it wasn't normal for you. It wasn't your exactly. normal. Exactly. Right. I'm always upbeat, happy, and I kept saying, just it, it was just. The, I know it was a, the pandemic because I never had any problems before. It could be my age, maybe I'm over fifty. It could be, it could be, but I'm gonna say the pandemic has taken me over to another level because um, things like going to the freaking grocery store after lockdown. Do you know what that's yeah. like? It's like, oh my god, there's more than two people. I'm gonna have a heart attack. Honestly, now. like I think for about a year and a half, didn't set foot in the supermarket. Oh my gosh, really? And I started going recently. You know, but just like to get a few things, I still do a large part of my shopping online. And it's not, I mean, it's convenient because everything is brought right to you, but it's also not convenient because you don't get to like touch the fruit and see if it's not bruised and everything. But I definitely, before, before the pandemic, you know, going to the supermarket was something like I like to do. But then it got to the point where I was like, I felt guilty at the beginning of the pandemic about going outside because I have a, a small child. It was my husband, my, ch- uh, my child and I were here. And I was like, if I go outside to Dunkin' Donuts and I don't really need to get a donut and I get sick and I bring it home and I make one of them sick, it's going to be my fault. So right. these are the things that people were thinking about on a regular basis, feeling guilty about going to get a cup of coffee or going, you know, food shopping. And that's a lot to deal with. And so I think for many people, the pandemic was kind of that tip, you know, the the like the tipping point, mm-hmm. and everything just kind of compounded. And then you know, many people looked up and said, "Okay, well, I, I need to talk to somebody." Wow. Well, before we transition, uh, what I'll do is I'll I'll play a video and we'll transition to the okay. next uh, infertility. Um, just give us one or two quick things that right now, if anyone's out there who's dealing with any kind of anxiety from whether it's a pandemic racial trauma or yeah. or opposite, you know, being someone white, having to see all this stuff or whatever, yeah. give us just some kind of uh, piece of advice. 
Yeah, so I think that certainly if something comes up for you uh, time and time again, if something continues to be on your mind, it's worth talking about. I think that a lot of times what I hear from people um, is, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm really blessed. I have a job. I'm, you know, I have a good life. I don't have anything to complain about, you know, so I really don't have a right to feel sad or feel anxious, feel depressed. That's not true. If it's coming up for you, if it's resonating for you, if it's persisting, it's important to you and therefore it is important and it's worth talking about. So wow. I would say don't judge yourself for whatever your worries or your anxieties or your emotional experience is. Acknowledge it. And there is someone who can talk to you about that. And, you know, it's their job and it's their pleasure to do that. So I'd say, number one, don't judge yourself. You know, just do whatever you have to do to get in contact with a clinician. I would also say be persistent because, you know, I'm 45 years old. I can probably uh, probably count on more than one hand the number of like primary care doctors I've had in my life, right? And for whatever reason, maybe this one, I didn't like them or I didn't like their hours or, you know, we change sometimes when when our needs change. Right. But but if you start and you engage in therapy or psychiatry with someone and you're like, mm, this doesn't feel like the right fit, it's okay to say, this is not working for me. Let me try to find somebody who I think, you know, fits what I'm looking for more precisely. Um, because, you know, there are therapists who specialize in certain things. If you have a specific issue that you want to work on, try to find a therapist who works specifically in that area. If it just feels awkward, if it feels weird, if, you know, whatever it is, you have the right to be comfortable in therapy. So, you know, some people try and they're like, oh, that I went two times. I didn't like it. I never went back. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes you want to see, like, can I give it a try? Give it right. a couple more sessions, see if it works out. If it doesn't sit well with you, that doesn't mean you drop out of therapy. That just means you try to find a new clinician. You try to find somebody who, you know, who works for you. The same way you would try to find a new dentist or a new PCP or whatever. Right. Um, so those are my tips, you know. Um, Thank you. Yeah. That's, that's that's good. That's that's all we need sometimes, just a little bit. Uh, yeah. And we'll get to the next level. Um, at the end, guys, I will be putting up her website as well, so you can um, uh, definitely check her out. Um, but right now, I just wanted to go to a quick uh, clip, um, to one of these quick uh, music video quick clips just to break it up and then we'll come back and talk about infertility. So guys, yeah. don't go anywhere. We'll be right back and just hang on for one second here. Watching on the town with Tanya, and I'm your host, and I am here with uh, therapist Ayana Ali. Hello again, uh, welcome back. Uh, so, so here's um, a stat that I pulled from the CDC, uh, and it's actually some parts of it. It's 
strange, but okay. Uh, so they, they, infertility, that's our next topic, guys. And I'm going to get to everybody in the chat, okay? We'll leave time so that we can we can chat with you. Uh, if you have any questions, you can put them in the chat, um, especially if there's anything on infertility, please be my guest. Uh, so um, it said 6.1 million women in the U.S. ages now, I don't know why they use such a young age, 15 to 44, have difficulty getting pregnant or staying pregnant. Mm -hmm. According to the CDC, that was in February 2021 when they uh, said this. Again, mm -hmm. I no idea why they added 15-year-olds, but we're not going to talk about it because I'm not sure. That's a little awkward. Yeah, that's uh, strange. <laughs> it, isn't it? I was like, that's why? They probably, maybe they just mean child. I don't know. I don't know. I can't say. <laughs> I don't know. That's just weird. I mean, because I was like, we're in America. That nobody should be having babies at fifteen. <laughs> but it's okay. Uh, but but so yeah. So in other words, that's a high. Um, that's a high amount of people. Um, yeah. And uh, so you're 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 much needed, as well, as I'll say. Um, what are some of the factors aside from the obvious? Um, you know, like health, toxic products, foods, um, estrogen dominant foods. You know, endometriosis, yeah. fibroids. Uh, birth control, I guess, feminine products, whatever, um, that, that, uh, that some people may have infertility. So, I mean, certainly there are biological reasons, right, for infertility. Sometimes it's as simple as like a, a fallopian tube or as simple as, um, you know, um, slow sperm or not enough sperm, you know, and something that can really be pinpointed um, and perhaps, you know, addressed in a medical way. Um, and then you mentioned things like fibroids, which for, you know, black women is a huge issue for, me for many women, it's a huge issue, but specifically for black women, fibroids is a very big issue. And it does oftentimes, um, you know, present difficulties to either, you know, becoming pregnant or maintaining a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, sometimes doctors can certainly say it's because of the following that you're having difficulty either getting pregnant or maintaining pregnancy. Then there are things called unexplained infertility, you know, something called unexplained infertility, where, you know, the person's been through every single test imaginable, everything comes back normal, yet and still they either cannot get pregnant or cannot maintain a pregnancy. Um, and I think that that's also very frustrating. And I think that that's, you know, sometimes attributed to things like toxins in the food or the chemicals that we come in contact with but you know it remains a big question mark for many people like why is this happening to me um i definitely think that in this day and age we are dealing with so much more stress than people did 50 years ago or 100 years ago um and or i don't even know if it's more stress or if it's just that we're more aware of like the specific reasons for our stressors Right. So um, certainly people have had hard lives for, for time and eternity. But I think, you know, we talk about it now and you can go on the Internet and you can see a movie about it and you can read a book about it. And so I think this understanding that like life is stressful and life is hard, certainly for people for whom there is a very strong mind body connection, <laughs> I think can affect many aspects of their health, fertility being one, you know. Right. Um, I also do think that people are talking about infertility now much more than they used to. So um, I think there probably are more women who experience infertility for a variety of like reasons. But I also think the fact that more women are willing to say, I'm having this difficulty, um, you know, makes it kind of a hot 
topic or an issue that people are more willing to talk about and that they're more aware of. So I think it's something that comes into everyday conversation much more so today than it 20 years or 30 years ago. Um, so overall wellness, I think, you know, your fertility, your mental health, those are all things that can be affected by your overall wellness. And it's not just one factor, but if things are all working together well, certainly, um, people can be challenged in their desire to grow their family. So. Right. Do, do you think that um, uh, it maybe it's, uh, well, it's just now being talked about because up until a certain time, you know, everybody was really into the Bible and this whole religion thing and mm-hmm. men, men's whole uh, being is, well, that mm-hmm. woman's gorgeous, let me impregnate her. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, that's not what they do, guys, but that's kind of what they're built to do, procreate, right? <laughs> so with that being said, this is my little, crazy theory uh with that being said um uh, the stigma uh and probably i'm just gonna ask you the shame probably surrounding that sometimes yeah. because guys um you know especially if they see a gorgeous woman like look at you your beautiful features like why wouldn't a guy be like i want to have all i want to have all my kids all 20 of my kids right because that's what they're thinking i need the next the next generation it right 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 it to be beautiful right so in an in innate um, way, I'm really being going really basic on this one. Basic, yeah. Um, but, but but that's really what guys are made for. So maybe that's where, for them, it came to like, what you know, what's this? And then for the woman, it's like, oh, you know, that we were told, right? We're supposed to have babies, right? We're, we're supposed to do and clean the house, right? So yeah. we know now that that's not all we're supposed to do, and there's, right. and that's not that's not so true. Well, you know, I definitely think that the idea of, you know, someone who's like 35 and over having a baby is is something that is much more acceptable um, and it's something that you find much more often than you did 50 years ago, 100 years ago. So I think that because women now have the ability to concentrate on education and careers and like travel and do all these things that, you know, for a very long period of time uh, were considered to be, you know, possibilities only from men i think you have women delaying childbirth and you know the statistics are we know that you know the older you are the more difficult it does it can be to become pregnant because the quality of your eggs deteriorate um you know the number of your egg reserve goes your egg reserve goes down so i think some of the you know the the forward motions of society also have affected and impacted people's ability to maybe become pregnant because women are having babies at a early at a later age. Yes. Even men are becoming fathers. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. So certainly. Um, well, I mean, yeah. You look at the. There was a couple of ladies. One lady had. I want to say she did sixty-five or something crazy. Seventy. Uh, there was a woman, I think, in India, who was like. 71 or 72 or something yeah and and that that to me is an example of wait a minute ladies there's (laughs) here if we take care of our eggs right take care of our bodies who said that 20 is the age to have a baby i'm just saying it's hard to do because we've been programmed of course in the bible it sounded like when mothers were older um so babies right I mean, Mary was not no young thing, okay? I'm just saying. So with that being said, yeah, I would imagine if you, I mean, Diana Ross had twins at what? What was she, 45, 50? I don't know. I don't remember. She was older. She was yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, twins. So I think okay. you take care of your body. Mm -hmm. It's a possibility. Um, anything's possible. How about that? Yeah. I think, you know, things are definitely medically possible today that were not medically possible years ago, you know, and as, you know, we make more discoveries, you know, uh, medical and biological discoveries. Obviously, things that used to be closed off to people of a certain age or people with certain conditions are now, you know, open and, and there are possibilities. Um, and, and I don't necessarily think that waiting to have a child until you're feeling established or you're feeling settled, you know, in your life in terms of career or finances is a bad thing. Um, but I think that sometimes there are... Um, you know, just natural consequences. So I didn't get married until I was 36. And I, my husband and I didn't start trying until I was almost 38. That was just how my life went, you know? So I had no idea like that I would ever have any kind of issues with getting pregnant, but I had never tried. And that was just because my life just was doing it. Was it time? <laughs> right. Sorry. Well, that makes sense. So, well, what, um, um, how, how would someone go about, uh, finding a therapist to deal with this and do you do you work with couples correct yeah so i work primarily with individuals and and groups of women um so i do individual therapy for women who are um, dealing with infertility and dealing with pregnancy loss sometimes they're dealing with one or the other sometimes they're dealing with both mm -hmm. i do run a group uh, on a weekly basis and um and i'm, I'm about to start um, doing workshops and things for women I do work with couples. I work with couples only in the context of couples who are struggling with infertility and pregnancy loss. I don't just do, you know, regular couples counseling. Right. Um, at the same time, this is my niche because this has been part of my experience. You know, I um, had a number of pregnancy losses and, um, you know, didn't necessarily have a problem with getting pregnant, but did have a problem with retaining a pregnancy. Right. Um, and um, so I was given a diagnosis of infertility and um, it was part of my experience. And although I think for the most part, I got pretty good medical care throughout my experience, I did finally go on to have a child. She's now five. Um, I feel like I got very good in most instances medical treatment, right. but nobody really ever said to me like, how are you, you know, how's your heart? How's your mind? Mm. Um, and so once I think that I had done some of my own healing, you know, I was like, it, it really makes sense for me to do this work because I know about it personally. And then I know from a professional perspective, how to treat the trauma because it's, it's trauma, you know, um, and pregnancy loss and infertility is trauma that occurs in the context of your body right, right. So it's right. one thing if you had a car accident and you know your car was totaled and they take that car away and you know you get a new one and that doesn't solve everything but you don't have this reminder of the car that you right. had the accident. Right. right if you are not able to get pregnant or if you um experience pregnancy loss you know everywhere you go there you are it's your body that you carry everywhere with you and it's the body you know that you feel in some ways may have failed you right. that you still have to live in and inhabit. So um, it's a very unique pain. And um, I think also because of the work and the training that we get as therapists, you know, there's a whole ethical, you know, issue about 
if you're a therapist, do you talk about your own experiences? Is it ethical to do that? Is it helpful to do that? Right. But I think that in instances of women and families who are struggling with growing their families, it is helpful for them to know that the, the clinician that they're working with understands them because he or she may have experienced something similar. So I think in those instances, it's okay to say, you know, I think I have an idea of what you're going through, even if we didn't have the exact same experience, because that was my experience, you know. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of people who do what I do. Right. Uh, you have to be trained, specially trained for this, correct? Um, so I'm a trauma, I'm trained in trauma. Right, okay. And um, in, in providing, you know, trauma treatment. In terms of like developing this as a specialty, mm -hmm. I, there are people who do it, but yeah. I'm kind of like a pioneer <laughs> in many ways. I got um, certainly when you think about infertility and you see commercials about like, you know, fertility clinics and stuff, the face of infertility and pregnancy loss is often a white one. And so in terms of being a black woman who right. you know, works with primarily black women, I, I mean, I, I work with everybody, right. but certainly I think being a black woman who's dealing with infertility and pregnancy loss and trying to find a black therapist who knows about that, right. it's right. hard. Um, so I'm trying to get the message out there, you know, like there are therapists like me who exist um, there's also, I, I know of a man therapist, a male therapist who's actually starting to do the work with men. Oh, wow. Um, it's even more rare to find right. a man who does this with, you know, men who have, um, you know, their partner right. has experienced pregnancy loss or they've had difficulty growing their family, you know, if they're a gay couple. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it, it's hard to find this kind of treatment. Wow. It, it is. Wow. Well, uh, I, I think that's awesome. I was going to ask. Uh, what are um, some of the questions, uh, you know, if someone's experiencing infertility, what are some of the questions they can ask when they're looking for a therapist? You hit one of them, because um, I would definitely ask, uh, you know, are you trained yeah. in this or have you done this work before? Uh, you know. I mean, I think, you know, I think it's appropriate if you are seeking um, assistance for any kind of trauma. I think it is okay for you to say to the prospective clinician, um, you know, is this something that you have knowledge of? You can ask if it's something that they have professional knowledge of. You can also ask if it's something that they have personal knowledge of. You know, whether or not the therapist is going to talk to you about their own personal experiences is up to them. But I think it's certainly okay for you to ask. Right. Um, I think it is also okay, you know, to explain, to, to understand that, like, what it, what has happened to you is a trauma. Because yes. miscarriage is very common, for example. Mis one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage. So 25% of all pregnancies end in miscarriage. It's something that, you know, many women have experienced. At the same time, it's traumatic. And so just because something is common or just because something happens often, doesn't mean it's not deeply wounding and deeply hurtful. And it, it doesn't mean that you just need to like shake yourself off and just move on because like, oh, I'm one of, you know, however many millions of women. Um, so it's okay for you to understand that what has happened to you, if you've experienced pregnancy loss or if you're dealing with infertility or have, deal, or have dealt with infertility as trauma, because it is. And you have a right to, to talk about it and to seek a place where people are not going to be like, don't talk about it or right. get over it or move right. on. You right. know, your, your thoughts and your feelings are valid. So absolutely, absolutely. That, that well, that's why I would think it to me it would be pretty much on the other side. It's very important um, mm -hmm. that my therapist um, had has experienced that. 
uh, and that's just because you know you're dealing like with um, you're dealing with uh, special um, language that they may speak acronyms or whatever. Um, and who wants to educate a therapist, especially right? <laughs> really? Right. So you would know. Okay, you have to do this treatment. You know, if I say right. something, it's not like, oh, well, what is that? What does that look like? So like, right. You should know what it looked like. But so it's it's uh, I think I think it would be very helpful. It's very important. I mean, you know, I have a number of clients who are going through IVF mm -hmm. and, you know, there are all these acronyms and, you know, um, this test and that test or, you know, a a AMA and like, all, and you want to be talking to somebody who gets that, who knows right. what that is. Yes. You know, it doesn't mean you have to know every single medical term, but, you know, there's this, like you said, there's a some degree of understanding that you want your therapist to have when you go into a therapeutic, a therapeutic scenario and you don't want to have to be explaining yourself all the time. Um, so that's helpful. And that's like one of the things that if somebody were interested in like trying to do this work, you just because it was your personal experience doesn't mean you don't need to do research and you don't need to be up on the latest information because you need to be able to support your clients through their experiences. Yes, um, and you have to know the latest drugs, the latest therapy, the modalities, whatever's going on. Yeah, yeah no, definitely can't just assume, um, especially with that. Uh, no. But, um, well, here's a, uh, a trivia question. <laughs> <laughs> what would be uh, some things, and so everybody listening, some things you would not say to someone doing IVF? Because that's a big thing. Yeah, it's a big thing. Um, one, I would, I would not say to someone who's, you know, who's let you know that they're going to be doing IVF or they're undergoing IVF. Oh, so adoption wasn't an option for you or, um, you know, there's a lot of foster kids who are looking for parents. Um, I wouldn't say anything because, it, <laughs> you know, first of all, there's always this like what's always implied when people suggest adoption to someone who's unable to, you know, become pregnant or unable to, you know, birth a child, um, you know, traditionally is that adoption is so easy. It is not an easy alternative to no. giving no. birth. And it's just as costly. It's hard. It's yeah. complicated. It can be just as disappointing. It could be just as lengthy, just as frustrating, you know? And so if someone says I'm doing IVF, you know, the best thing to say to them is, wow, I really hope it works out for you. Or, you know, you must be a little bit nervous, but you know, um, if, if you feel like talking about it, I, I'd love to hear about your experience. You know, I would not say to them, how much did it cost? Or how many rounds have you done? You know, or has it been successful? You know, or I had a friend who, you know, did IVF and, you know, 10 times and she never got pregnant or she never carried a baby. You know, it's like the old adage, like if you don't have something nice to say, <laughs> don't say anything. Right. Um, and if somebody were when people, when my clients come to me and they're like, I'm doing IVF, I'm, you know, overjoyed for them because to get there, to get to that decision is often a hard one. Mm -hmm. It means that either their insurance pays for it or they found the way to do it, you know, financially somehow out of pocket. And so it means that they're one step closer, hopefully to getting their family to look the way that they want to. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I will also acknowledge that for most people doing IVF or considering IVF, that's not the route that they thought that they would be taking um, in order to grow their family, probably when they initially started, you know? So it can be bittersweet. 
And it's like, oh, okay, we finally got to the place where we can do IVF or where we can afford it. Um, it probably wasn't their first choice about how they were going to try to conceive or try to grow their family. So wow. just try to be sensitive. You know? Right, right. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's so well, now we know a couple of things. Um, yeah. What um, what was that? Oh, I had another question about that. Um, oh, boy, darn it. Uh, I just totally blacked out on myself here. Okay. Uh, what should I do? Things to uh, things to not say. And it was something else. But I just totally blanked out. Oh, gosh. I think that's uh, ex former COVID brain. That's uh, crazy. Um, but what else can, um, can you tell us about um, if, uh, you know, especially for men, um, that must be uh, a challenge. Uh, what, what are the things that they, that they have to deal with or how can they be supportive? Well, I think, you know, so you have these instances where, you know, when we think of infertility, and we think of pregnancy loss, we tend to think of it as a woman's issue. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't tend to think of it as like a couple's issue, you know, whether that couple is a heterosexual couple or a homosexual couple or non-binary couple. We usually think about it only in the context of someone who identifies as a woman. And we don't think about the partner who's also lost a child in the instance of pregnancy loss or a partner who also wants to grow, you know, his or her family and has been challenged, you know, also. Um, I think first, when we think about men who are dealing with this, we want to be empathic. We want to be understanding. We want to acknowledge that for them, it is, you know, uh, it can be difficult also. And we want to let men know that it's okay to have feelings of sadness and disappointment. And it is traumatic too. So acknowledging their feelings and their experience. Um, also, I think we want to let men know it's okay to um, feel your feelings because men are socialized to be really strong. Nothing bothers me. Men don't cry. You know, there was like all of all of all these messages that men get growing up. And then even when they're, you know, adults, it doesn't really give them permission to be upset about something. Right. So, um, you know, we want to acknowledge their feelings and give them permission to grieve in the way that they see fit. Yeah. Also, we have to think about the fact that, you know, men who have a partner who may be struggling with infertility or pregnancy loss, they may also feel like, well, maybe it's me, you know, maybe I'm not virile enough or maybe I'm not fertile enough or, you know, maybe there's a problem with my health or my body or, you know, there are all kinds of ways when people are experiencing these type of issues with growing in their family that they blame themselves, you know, man or woman. Right. Um, and so it's really important that, you know, even if let's say the man has a low sperm count, you know, that's the, been the identified issue, you mm -hmm. know, it's a biological reason, but it's not your fault. Right. You know? Right. 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 Um, and so we want to also make sure that men are paying attention to their mental health care and um you know any feelings that they may be experiencing as a result also we want to encourage men to go to the doctor because sometimes what will happen is a couple will be trying and trying and trying and the automatic assumption is that oh it's the woman you know like her ovaries don't work or her fallopian tubes don't work or something yep. and sometimes it's a problem it's a biological problem with the male partner and yes. so and no no man wants to hear like there's a problem with your sperm. <laughs> right, right. so often yeah. they will not even go to the doctor and participate in the process, you know, right. figure right. out what happens. Well, so. I will tell them this, it's their fault that they didn't get a boy. 
You can look that up. You can that is something swim fast enough. So that's the one thing I'm gonna give I'm gonna take give you all of that. But uh yeah that, <laughs> I'm just messing with you guys, but that is a fact you can actually look up. Yeah. Uh but um so okay, so 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 couples can come to you. Um, they can uh, get the mental piece that they need to deal with all this stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But are they also going to doctors first to figure out, okay, let's try changing the whole diet first. And then we're yep. going to try this. And then, so there's steps and procedures that. Yeah. Okay. So the mental health piece is only one part of the whole, you know, fertility process. Definitely. Right. If, um, you know, you've been trying for some time. Technically, um, you have to have been trying, I think, for, depending on your situation, six months or a year without having um, become pregnant um, to, you know, be deemed infertile or to, you know, be given the diagnosis of infertility. Right. I always tell people, like, don't wait. If you feel like there's a problem, if you're if you if you're just you have questions, go to your provider, go to your GYN, go to your you know, um, PCP and say, listen, like we've been trying, we don't feel like this is working, right. you know. Um, depending on your age and depending on your medical situation and depending on, you know, what you've been doing to try to become pregnant, they can often refer you to a reproductive endocrinologist, you know, who can take your blood and can you know, measure a woman's egg reserve, can measure hormones, you know, um, they can see if you're running too high on a certain hormone or too low on a certain hormone. And, um, you know, if you can get that information at month six, as opposed to month 13, you know, it, it's a lot less stress on you and your mind. So yeah, definitely talk to your provider. Mm -hmm. Um, so try to find out from a biological perspective what's going on. If you feel that your provider is dismissive, get another one. Right. You know, that is like if people can take one bit of advice from this whole conversation, if your provider doesn't listen to you, if your provider doesn't take your concerns seriously about the fertility process, get another one. Okay. Just move on. <laughs> um, but then, you know, so in addition to the mental piece and the biological piece, you know, many people, um, will go to an acupuncturist because acupuncture has been found to be helpful. Um, oh. for many people trying to um, increase their fertility or increase their chances of um, implantation, um, cutting out certain types of foods. Yes, because a lot of foods are estrogen dominant, the people don't right. know. And so they're eating all like chickpeas. If I was going to try to get pregnant, I probably wouldn't be eating chickpeas. But that's right. Just me. right. Estrogen dominance causes other things that may be a part of the other right. problems. So yeah. it's really important, right? And it's really important to say, I think much more say, much more so than me saying like, don't eat this or don't eat that, is go to a provider who specializes in this, have them do a workup on you, and then they will probably put you in contact with the nutritionist or with the dietitian who will say for your particular medical presentation or situation, you want to stay away from this, you want to eat more of this or eat more of that. Um, some people are have you know, very in like their system is, is susceptible to inflammation. So right. they won't drink alcohol or they won't eat gluten, you know, yeah. but everybody's situation is different. But what you want to do when you're thinking about fertility is think like holistically. So right. it's just the medical thing. It's not just, you know, um, like a mind over matter thing, you right. know, also if spirituality is important to you, how do you incorporate that into your process? You know, do, if, if you attend church or you attend temple or you meditate or, you know, if there's something that's a part of your wellness package that you have been neglecting, 
take a look at that and see how you can incorporate that back into your daily routine because what we want is stability on all all cylinders. Yes, because <laughs> you want to line, I say line up your chakras and get everything. Correct, correct. <laughs> Get yeah. line because a, a lot of time for any any body trauma, I call it. Um, that you know, if you don't, if you're not aligned, then now we don't even know yeah. what the issue yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, I have a Reiki, um, a Reiki, you know, a Reiki um, professional that I work with very um closely, and I actually sometimes make referrals to her because I feel like I'm taking care of the mental piece, but right. sometimes the, the spiritual piece and the body mind connection piece, the Reiki professional can you know. Um, address. So it's not like these 10 things work together. One right. plus two is three. It, it, you know, it, you got to find your kind of balance. Balance. Yes. So. Yes. It's all, and it's all about balance. I mean, even, I mean, even down to if I, you know, uh, get mentally unstable, that's still some kind of an unbalance. Balance. Chemical balance. Eating wrong and I'm out in the wrong environment and I'm around negative people and I'm, you know, the, all those things play a part on your, um, I call them your, that's not the right word, their ohms in your body that provide the energy or whatever it is you need uh -huh. to, to do whatever it is you need to do. Yeah. So yeah. if you take it from that standpoint, it's very important you get everything aligned. Get in alignment, get in alignment. And if you don't know how to do that, that's when you reach out to these professionals who can help guide you. And like, you know, what works for me may not be what works for you. So everybody has to kind of find their own path, but definitely seek answers. Um, right. So many medical, you know, we have so much more information than we did years ago. There's so many tests that we can take or, you know, um, protocols that we can follow. You know, you can get answers. Yes. And if, you know, if someone's not helping you, like I said, move on because yeah. somebody else has the answers. <laughs> that, that says Ariana Grande says that next. Thank you. Yes. Next. Thank you. Next. Right. You know, life is short and we want to live it up and do the best we can and be the best yeah. we are that yep. we can be. And you got that all comes back to get yourself in alignment for everything. Right. Uh, because if you're off, then that causes other problems and other issues. And then the next thing you know, just off to the races with it, you know? Right. Just, uh, yeah. So, so I'm learning. But uh, but uh, thank you so much. Um, I think we're going to go to the chat box just to say hi to some people. Is that okay? Yeah. Any, and then we can wrap it up uh, and if you have any last minute and uh, last words last request okay. um let's say hi to everybody first of all everybody out there um it's uh, yana and tanya i see yvonne hey yvonne how are you and joe uh thank you for checking us out we appreciate you uh grandma norma hey how are you thank you yes and deborah uh deborah oh she's amazing she wrote a book uh on us uh, on uh, domestic uh, violence, but it's not a domestic violence book. It's just something that helps people. It's very short, to the point. So, hey, Deborah, I see you out there. Great, great uh, work you're doing there. And Rich, always thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, let's see. Anybody had a question? Let's see. I'm trying. To, I thought I saw something here. Anybody had a question out there? Da -da -da -da. Pandemic has affected me mentally and emotionally. Yes, everybody. I don't know anybody who's went unscathed, quite frankly. And if they said they were, they're probably lying. Right. Uh, it's just just no way that you can just unaware. Be, yeah, locked in your house for two years and just come out like, okay, let's just be like right. normal again. Great. <laughs> right. No way. It's not gonna happen. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> so let's see. Um uh so you Rich talked about anxiety, uh and um, you know, um things that happen. Let's see. Uh let's say I believe that as a black man, I have had some what do you say here? Okay. I've had some inherited trauma. Yes, absolutely. I think we have. Are you kidding? Yeah. 
and, and and white people have too. They pass down traumas passed down to them. So general yeah. trauma, right? It's not specific to black people. I do think that there are specific though. You know. Um, um, ways that trauma shows up in different groups because right. they have collective experiences. Right. I definitely think that black women, you know, in, in talking about like fertility and, and pregnancy loss, black women are four times more likely to die during their pregnancy than their non, you know, black counterparts. Yep. So I was um, almost one of them. Yeah, me too. Me yeah. too. So, so I know. You know, unfortunately, fertility or infertility is not just about do you have the baby. It's also about you know, are are people listening to you? Are people hearing you? Are people taking your concerns and your pain and you know um, seriously? And so, certainly, that's something that um, we have to deal with. Um, and I see there's a question that says, do I think that there's a war against Black female reproduction? Um, I don't think that there is a um, for for the for most people in society, a calculated, um, you know, conscious choice to you know ruin black female um, reproductive, um, you know, um, possibilities. But I do think that there is a history of not seeing black women, mm -hmm. and not um, you know believing their stories and not believing their issues are valid. And I think that that trickles down to every single aspect of black women's lives. So I right. think in the sense that it may not be direct, but indirectly, yes, we are challenged when we want to become pregnant and when we get pregnant and we are challenged when we go to have our babies because more of us do not come home from the hospital or do not make it to the hospital, you know, um, to give birth than our non-black counterparts. So in that sense, I think that, you know, the system doesn't work for us in many ways. And, and, and the reproductive process is just one more way that it doesn't work, that, it, you know, things don't work for us often. Right, right. Well, I think, um, Rich, I think, I mean, I think one of the things you might be touching on is like, for instance, like the Planned Parenthood, mm -hmm. uh, Margaret Sanger, that whole theory right, right. That is probably what I think uh, he might be touching on. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, that's what it is for me, because I, I know, I know some people that work at one of them, and, uh, and it just, to me, mind boggled me that, they only put them in black neighborhoods and they put all the black girls, uh, oh, everybody's on pill, but they put us really on it quick and didn't want our parents to know. And we all know that, uh, allegedly, we'll say, um, in my opinion, uh, birth control pills uh, are not the greatest thing. Uh, they're the greatest thing for preventing births, right? Fine. But in my holistic body self, I'm not sure that I'd want my kids on. Um, birth control because right. because for what it looks like for us as brown women is fibroids and you know cysts and uh yeah and all these other things that oh, are the yeah the hor the the kind of imbalance of hormones can certainly oh. be problems right They're and, and altering whatever our body's natural kind of like balance yes, chemistry yes and which is why that question is a very good question rich because mm -hmm. i don't know all i'm telling you is why would you i know everybody in my family um especially my family like in louisiana and some other places they told me you can't take birth control we're not allowed to take it you can't take it even mm. if you wanted to we're mm. allergic to it yeah now, why is that now why would that be is is my question right uh, I, I think i've watched too many episodes of hunter <laughs> you know with, uh, 
with uh, Jordan Peele. I think I watched way too many episodes. But <laughs> I, I, I do think like, okay, so now tell me, when I hear something about Margaret Sager or something like that, right. why come up with this conclusion? So um, there's like, you know, there's a lot of controversy around Margaret Sanger and, you know, um, like a more careful analysis of some of the literature is like questions whether or not she really was trying, you know, to, um, you know, and, you know, keep black babies from being born, regardless, you know, of whether that is true or not. Right. I definitely want to acknowledge that there have been like medical institutions and mental health organizations and institutions of power, you know, that have subscribed to racist ideas and racist practices that wound up adversely affecting, you know, black lives and, you know, and the lives of black women and, and black mothers. Right. Um, I definitely think that, you know, we are not seen and we are not heard. And because of that, you know, it is much more risky for us to become pregnant and to, and it's much more likely for us to not be able to carry a pregnancy to term because of medical mismanagement. Um, so in that way, you know, um, I definitely feel like, you know, as black women, our, our reproductive possibilities are limited and challenged. Yes. Um, and, you know, there's all the controversy now about the abortion, you know, the abortion ban in the Supreme Court and yeah. how do racial politics, um, you know, play into that. Um, but it's a good question and it, it's certainly something that we need to be considering. And it's certainly something that I feel like it's important to have providers that look like you because they need to be aware of what you, you're up against, not only just like medically, but also societally and in terms of racist racism and all the other isms. Right, right. Wow. Well, I, I have enjoyed uh, talking mm -hmm. with you today uh, and I hope my viewers, uh, I, well, I know my viewers got something. Just, <laughs> yeah. you know, a, whole, a whole earful because uh, yeah. between that and the trauma and, you know, the infertility, it's, it's, it's just a lot of stuff going on, but just a little piece about that. Um, not Margaret Sider, but just in, in general on that piece, um, for me, um, when you think about slavery and how we were used to actually procreate to make more slaves, mm -hmm. then it's like, well, what happened? Where did the disconnect come with the body? Then now I can't even, you know, that I'm having problems. Right, so I can't get the help. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Or at least something is afoot. Afoot, <laughs> right. exactly. No one. Yeah, uh, something is a uh, something's array or weird. Yeah, uh, and and that's just me using, thinking back. Like, okay, at one point you couldn't. We were like rabbits, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. now all of a sudden, and it's particularly certain age groups or you know certain. Mm -hmm. Uh, groups, uh, you know, right. and it's just weird to me. So I'm not saying it's total conspiracy theory. I'm just saying I probably think it was because that's just my well. Life. I mean, and certainly the history supports that, right? Like we know that in Puerto Rico, all, you know, there yes. were women who were sterilized, and you know, um, right so here, right here too. Yes, yes, it's okay. not like totally far fetched. Yeah. So um, it, it's possible, you know, and. Um, and it's sometimes down to a person. You don't know what a person is thinking or what their particular motivations are um, or what their, I, and you know, we have these biases that sometimes we're not even aware of that motivate us and inform our behavior and our policies and things like that. So, yeah. Well, what, well what's, um, what's one last piece of advice you can give us to alleviate all that anxiety and fear from all these things? Uh, yeah. Whether we're talking about infertility 
um, there's that that part that that can still build stuff for us, uh, or whether it's racial trauma or whether it's work trauma. What's yeah. something to take away today? Um, I think the one thing to take away is, regardless of what you're going through, whatever the particular challenge may be, find someone to talk to. You know, there's no shame in in getting things off your chest. There's no shame in saying I'm struggling with this issue and I need some help. You know. Um, if we have a cold, we go to the doctor. If we have a headache, we take Tylenol. It's just, right. you know, we can, we can liken, you know, seeing a therapist or seeing a psychiatrist to just bring in the assistance that we need in a particular issue. So whatever the issue is, you know, find someone. And like I said before, if you start with someone and it doesn't feel like the, the right fit, just keep trying until you find. Your person is out there. Your provider is out there. You know? yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you, Anna. And you're welcome to come back anytime uh, and talk about anything. Someone just put something in the chat. Who's that? Thank you for answering the question. I learned a lot. Thank you, Rich. Uh, and thank you uh, to all of our viewers. If you need to uh, reach out to uh, Ayana, you can certainly reach her on the website there. And you can always inbox me if you forget or can't find the information. Yeah. It's not a problem. She's on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram. You can find her. Okay. If you check my page, I think I posted something. I'm everywhere. Yeah. If She's you, everywhere. If you want so, therapy, if you want coaching. Yes. I'm your girl. <laughs> and you and you can do it online, correct? It's all virtual. So you oh, don't. I yeah. I love it. Virtual therapy, guys. Hey, let's go. Let's yep. go. We yeah. have to get it because uh, we all need healing. So right. I thank you guys so much for taking the time to watch. I thank you for gracing us with your presence you. uh, and your beauty. You're absolutely stunning. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Love your hair. It's stunning. Thank uh, so thank you for that. Um, and anytime, like I said before, you want to come through, you got a book to promote anything, you just uh, give me a call uh, and uh, and it's on. Uh, Certainly. Thank you. I appreciate us, it right? so much. Yes. Thank you. So just hang out for a minute. And guys, um, you, I'll see you next week. Uh, I think I have a boxer on. Uh, I got a female boxer. Ooh. So you guys say for next week and, uh, we got, uh, we'll see you guys. Somebody said something again. Keep sending me, uh, you are a blessing. This is uh, Miss Ali. Uh, yeah, she is. And no, no relation to Muhammad Ali, right? No. No. Okay. Darn. No. That's what I, I did meet him yeah. as a child. I met him when oh, I was, you a met him. I did. Yeah. He was awesome. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Uh, and we appreciate you so much, guys. We will see you next week. Hang out for a minute. There you go.